Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Nigel Lithgow, and I was the executive producer of Pop Stars, My Idol, Pop Idol, and American Idol. And these are my idol memories. Hi there. On today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about Kelly and Justin's final sing-off, and reminiscing with a few of my friends. After around 10,000 contestants had participated in American Idol, we were now down to the final two, Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini. Since the top three show that had seen the demise of Nicky McKibben on Wednesday night, there had been a very little time to prepare for both the following Tuesday's final sing-off and the next night's spectacular two-hour results show. The moment that the results show had come off the air, the set designed by Steve Bass was taken down, packed up, and trucked right across town to Hollywood's Kodak Theater. Extra lighting had to be installed in the theater's grid to accommodate the television show. Sturdy platforms were built for the 12 cameras, thousands of feet of cabling put in place, a lighting desk, a sound desk, and a production desk all needed to be placed in the audience for the rehearsals. In the loading dock, three trucks were parked. One for the director, Bruce Gowers, the lighting director, Kieran Healy, and the music mixer, Paul Sandweiss. This entire setup meant that we could not get on stage with the artists until the Monday morning before the first live show which was at 5 p.m. the next day. As all of the top 10 contestants were going to be performing on the results grand finale night, the rehearsals with the top seven had already been taking place from the Monday of the preceding week. Nikki McKibben joined them as soon as she'd been cut from the show on that Wednesday night. Unfortunately, Kelly and Justin would not be joining these rehearsals as immediately the show was over and having spoken to the press lineup, they were taken directly to the airport and flown to New York to present a video music award to Avril Lavigne. I'll let you guys look at the nominees for Best New Artist. And the winner is... Mm. Avril Lavigne! The following day, they spent the morning speaking with the East Coast journalists before working on their performances on the flight back to L.A. The top ten would be performing two long medleys of songs from the 60s and Motown. There were guys groups, girls groups, duets, trios and solos. Carrie Ann Inaba, aided by her assistant Mandy Moore, was staging the grand finale. Carrie Ann would go on later in her career to become a judge on Dancing with the Stars while Mandy Moore would become an amazing choreographer in her own right and choreograph the movie La La Land while becoming an Emmy-winning choreographer on my other show, So You Think You Can Dance. Congratulations to the pair of them. So, 
As soon as Kelly and Justin returned to L.A., they had to do all the usual vocal rehearsals, costume fittings, Ford Focus commercial, and even more press interviews for their own Tuesday performance. It was only then that they could join the rest of the team to record the backing tracks for the two forthcoming shows and begin to learn their parts in the medleys, both singing and dancing. There's no question they were exhausted and only adrenaline was keeping them focused and awake. Don't let anybody tell you it was fun at this time. It was out and out graft for both the top 10 and the entire production team. Stress levels were high. A number of our producers were editing clip packages to be played into both shows. After all, in order to fill a two-hour slot on the results night, we were looking at filling the first hour with montages of bad auditions, the journeys of our two finalists, a montage of the British version of Pop Idol, of course the Ford Focus video, and anything else we could lay our hands on. This had been a 30-minute show in the UK. Now it was two hours, so we were really making this up as we went along. We also sent producers to the two hometowns of Justin and Kelly to organize supporters groups that we could then link to during the grand finale. Music clearance for the medleys was going at 100 miles an hour. Susan Slamer and her team were working flat out, contacting publishers and artists in LA, New York and London. As soon as the music was cleared, Arrangements had to be written and then sent off to be copied and all the different parts written out for the orchestra. The music was to be recorded on the Sunday, so again, little time to get things done. Looking back now, I don't remember working against deadlines like this ever in my life. Three hours of live television rehearsed and transmitted in three days. For the sing-off show, we could only manage a single day's camera rehearsal on the actual day of transmission. Another of our problems was the fact that our shows were live to the East Coast, which meant our rehearsals were cut short as we were on the air at 5 p.m. For the two-hour grand finale on Wednesday, we rehearsed with cameras on the Monday and the day of the show Wednesday, until at least 4 p.m., thereby giving us about an hour before transmission to get our heads together. You have to remember, this wasn't people just standing there talking. They were singing and moving. Each camera shot had to be scripted by Bruce. Kieran had to input all those lighting changes into his computer, and Paul had to know which microphone was going to be used. With over 18 live microphones out there, it could have been a nightmare. The balance between the live vocal and the orchestra pre-recorded tracks was actually key to the entire show. Just thinking about it now, anyone, anyone in television will tell you it was a remarkable feat to accomplish in the time, especially as we'd never done it before. Incredibly enough, I personally only had four issues. One, Simon Cowell. Two, Sandy Grushow. Three, Simon Fuller. And fourth 
was the fact that two or three of my discs in my cervical spine had collapsed, causing me to be in a great deal of pain. The only relief I managed to get was by holding my left arm above my head, giving the appearance of a kid in a school class asking to go to the bathroom. I'll come back to the problems with Sandy and the two Simons later, as they appear. Well, we were finally paying off the original statement in the various audition rooms around the country of, You're going to Hollywood! It was now coming true. It wasn't just a dream for the contestants either, but also for us two Liverpool lads, Ken and myself. We'd grown up together from 11 years of age, both made a great career for ourselves in dancing, choreography, production and direction on British television. But you can only imagine that at 51 years of age, neither one of us had expected to be invited out to Hollywood, let alone become the executive producers of America's number one summer show. Coming to Hollywood and putting a show on in this 3,500-seat theater, which was known as the home of the Oscars, was certainly the pinnacle of both my life and I'm sure Kenny's life at this point. It wasn't just this theater that took my breath away. The famous Grauman's Chinese Theater is in the same mall, and across the street is the historic Roosevelt Hotel. Built in 1926, this hotel held the very first Oscar ceremony, and it's said that the building hosts the ghost of Marilyn Monroe, who had lived in the hotel for some two years. She obviously enjoyed her stay there if her ghost remained, hey. <laughs> it's quite normal, I guess, for Hollywood to get celebrity ghosts. It's, it's not really something I've ever thought of. Well, you don't, do you? Anyway, so many films have been shot in this hotel, and knowing my love for dance, you can imagine how delighted I was to be informed that Shirley Temple had learned to tap dance on the staircase of this remarkable edifice. I want to do that too. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Come on. If you haven't seen Bill Bojangles Robinson and Shirley perform the famous staircase routine from that 1935 movie, The Little Colonel, check it out. It is historic. Bill was in his 50s and Shirley was about six, I think. It was actually classed as the first interracial dance partnership. Can you believe it? it was so controversial at the time, it had to be edited out in the southern United States. What's going on around here? This was like being in a show business heaven for me. At the bottom of the hotel's Tropicana pool is an incredible million-dollar mural painted by the British artist David Hockney. I had the distinct pleasure of meeting David some years later at the home of the distinguished architect Frank Gehry. As we chatted, it came to light that we shared the same birthday, the 9th of July. Unfortunately, he was born in Yorkshire while I was born in Lancashire. And for those of you who know anything about English history, you'll know that these two counties had the fiercest civil war known as the War of the Roses. And it lasted for around 30 years before the Red Rose of Lancashire finally overcame the White Rose of Yorkshire. Yay! With Henry 
seventh, I think it was, or it could have been the fifth or the sixth, but I think it was the seventh, defeating King Richard III in the Battle of Bosworth. It's amazing, isn't it? You've come to listen about American Idol season one, and you're getting stories about Shirley Temple, David Hockney murals, and a bloody English history lesson. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Back to the matter in hand. As I've said, even before getting to the theatre, we had to record our music tracks on the Sunday. This is where we were introduced to yet another legendary building that certainly had its place in show business history, Capitol Studios. It's in the world's first circular office building, the famous Capitol Records Tower. And that had been the home of so many of the world's greatest recording artists. As you enter the studios, you're greeted by photographs of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Nat King Cole, Barbara Streisand, Michael Jackson, and Paul McCartney. As we were now recording there, I asked someone if they might want a photo of me and Kenny. They just looked a little bemused, shook their head, and walked off. I have no idea who it was. It could have been the CEO of Capitol Records, but Kenny thought it was the cleaning guy. Whatever. The audience was star-packed. Enjoying a front-row seat was Harry Connick Jr. He loved the show and was a great supporter of talented artists. Incredibly, he would later become an excellent judge on American Idol season 13, along with Jennifer Lopez and Keith Urban. Talking about judges, Randy, Simon and Paula were situated in the royal box just to the right of the stage. It was my belief that the following two nights were all about Kelly and Justin, our two finalists, and not the judges. I had no idea at this point just how furious Simon Cowell was about being in that box. As I had produced and directed the Royal Variety Performance Show in England for Her Majesty the Queen over many years, the Royal Box in the theatre would be where the Queen and Prince Philip would watch the show from. It was, for me, a very special area. I stupidly didn't realise that for Simon, the Royal Box meant absolutely nothing, apart from the fact it was taking him out of the limelight. Mm, my bad. Justin and Kelly would be singing three songs. They would both sing the two songs which had been specially written for the finale. Before Your Love had been commissioned by Simon Fuller, and A Moment Like This was commissioned by Simon Cowell. Both songs would be released as a double A-side disc by the ultimate winner of Idol, immediately after the envelope was opened and the result announced, just as it had been on the originating British show. There were, of course, no digital streaming platforms at this point, and CDs were still relevant. Along with those two songs, the contestants would choose their favourite song that they had performed on the series. It was thought to ease the load on our finalists. This was a fair third choice something they knew and had previously performed. It made sense, and both Justin and Kelly were really happy with that suggestion. To decide who would sing first, a coin was tossed. 
Kelly Clarkson won, having called heads correctly, and she decided that she wanted to go second. Very smart, really. That meant that she would be the one closing the show and be the last thing on everybody's mind just before the voting lines were opened. So, having lost the toss, Justin Guarini started off the evening with his first song, Before Your Love. How did I settle for a world in shades of grey? It's fair to say that this power ballad written by Desmond Child, Kathy Dennis and Gary Burr, wasn't a great song for either Justin's style or his voice. He had a sweet, melodic, soulful voice. It wasn't really suited for those big, long notes. He actually managed to reach all the right notes, but it felt somewhat uncomfortable. A bit like wearing an overcoat a couple of sizes too big for you. I never before your love. It was an out-and-out out diva song, and I do believe that any guy would have had problems with it. Kelly was up next. She stepped onto the stage wearing a beautiful red sparkly full-length gown, looking every inch the star that she would eventually become. Her first song was a moment like this. The lyrics were perfect for this competition and this particular performance. I can't believe it's happening to me. Some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. Kelly sang gently on some of the notes, growled others, and then soared into the key change. Kelly Clarkson was definitely the winner of round one. I looked up to the royal box. Randy and Paula were smiling and applauding, while Simon was looking the other way. As he looked back to the stage, I started to see he wasn't happy. The judges had not been asked to speak or to give their opinions. It began to dawn on me he wouldn't be happy in the next part of the show either, as Ryan and Brian were not scripted to speak to the judges in the following round either. My neck was really giving me a great deal of pain, and I knew it was going to get worse when I spoke to Simon Cowell. Anyway, I guess as an ex-dancer, I should have expected some kind of injury to show up later in my life. So many of my friends had got bad knees, bad joints, even arthritis. I obviously knew something was wrong. Probably muscular, I was thinking, but not the fact that two or three of my discs had collapsed or had been squeezed out of my cervical spine. I guess from all the pressure exerted on my neck executing those crazy head rolls during my dancing days of the 60s and 70s, it was to be expected. What I did know was that by holding my left arm above my head, it eased the pain and there was certainly no time to worry about anything right now. We were in the middle of the show, and pain was the last thing on my mind. OK, so round two was where both contestants had to choose any song that they'd sung in a previous round. It was obvious that Justin Guarini felt very comfortable singing Get Here. 
He'd already sung it a couple of times on the show, and it was written by that amazing writer Brenda Russell, and Alita Adams had been Grammy-nominated when she recorded it in 1990. The song certainly sat comfortably with his style and vocal range. His falsetto was immaculate. He looked great in a brown velvet open-neck shirt and gave it every drop of emotion he could muster. Personally, I preferred him singing Let's Stay Together. It was a song that he performed a little sassier with a cheeky glint in his eyes that I'm sure his young lady fans adored, probably some of the older ones too, and of course not forgetting Paula Abdul. Amazingly, one of my favourite bits of banter between Paula and Simon on this series was just after Justin had finished singing on a previous show. Paula had put her finger up to her lips and went... And Simon said... That is the first intelligent thing you've ever said on this show. (laughs) Simon was so quick to pick up on that. (laughs) Brilliant. Justin had finished singing Get Here and he'd sung it well. And I'm sure that he felt far more comfortable singing that song rather than his version of Before Your Love. So I was really happy to see that Justin was now putting up a fight. Kelly Clarkson, looking cool in an ankle-length black-fringed dress, strutted onto the stage with Aretha Franklin's anthem, Respect. That's what she was singing, that's what she was demanding, and that is certainly what she got from the audience as they jumped to their feet at the end of a good performance. Two different styles of music from both of them, but they'd both performed them well, and I thought round two was a draw. It was in this commercial break that Mike Darnell, the alternative entertainment boss of Fox, came to me and asked what duet Justin and Kelly would be singing tomorrow night on the grand finale. I said that we hadn't thought of doing one. Well, you'd better think of it now, came back the reply. I'd like them singing a song together. Ken and I talked about it in the next commercial break and agreed on the Marvin Gaye, Kim Weston number, It Takes Two. It fitted into the rest of the show perfectly. The two big medleys were going to be 60s music and Motown music, and this was the Motown song from 1966. I informed Susan Slamer that we needed to get an immediate clearance of the song, and of course, she got straight on the phone. I asked her recently if this had proved to be a problem. And this was her reply. Well, the problem was, is we all thought it was Motown, and Motown EMI uh, did have part of it, but there was a second publisher. So I was struggling to try and figure out who that might be. And, you know, and then there was some, some sort of controversy about who owned what rights. Um, so it took a little time, but we did get it done in time, yes. Were there any other problems with songs uh, in that finale that you remember? In the finale, no, because at that point, the everyone knew who the kids were. They knew um, how good they were. And, um, you know, when you hear that kids are going to be singing new songs, they're not being judged. They're just going to be performing um, as a group of 10, as a group of four, all the girls in one song, all the guys. Everybody was on board. The only people who, I, I don't even know if this is still true today, there were some artists 
that were concerned about their songs being performed if one of the judges was going to criticize them. And they didn't necessarily care if the song was criticized, but some artists didn't really like the idea of our contestants being criticized. Um, they didn't want their songs to be associated with that. But for the most part, when we came to the finale, and when you explain it's a party, you know, um, this is the end of the road. We are, we're up to our top two contestants. And yes, they are competing. But you see how good Justin and Kelly are. There was no argument anywhere. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. Tell me, Susan, were you aware that Justin was not happy with either of the finale songs? Yeah. Well, before your love, when we heard him rehearsing it, we kind of looked at each other and we, you know, I I don't remember talking to Justin about it, but I know that I think Bird and I talked amongst ourselves and I know that I didn't feel that that song, Before Your Love, was really suited for Justin at all. It it was a chick song. It's a girl song. And so I know he was uncomfortable with it. Um, But, you know, what are you going to do? That's the way the ball bounces. You know, you got to do. And and quite honestly, he's a pro in so many sense of the word. Justin just gets out and does it. You know what I mean? If he's uncomfortable, you don't know it. He just gets out there and does his thing. And so even though we all knew it wasn't the best song for him and he wasn't very comfortable with it, the audience, I don't think, ever picked up on that. You no, know what I mean? He's right. too good for that. And, uh, and I don't think he felt too comfortable with a moment like this either. <laughs> well, that was, that was a little better. You know, oh, the, oh, God, well, I'm thinking of it. The one thing was we heard both when we, when we were at rehearsals for the finale. We hear Kelly sing both the songs. But when Justin sang Before Your Love, it felt like it was a 10-minute song. And we got giggling at one point, like, how long is this song? It just seemed like it took forever for him to sing the whole song. And it didn't take Kelly hardly any time at all. And I think that's when we all looked at each other and it twigged. This probably isn't the best song for him if it feels like it's going on and on and on. Yeah, I think I think the cards were stacked against him somewhat. However... When Kelly Clarkson sang a moment like this, I got the chills. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think everybody did. I don't know who could have beat her that season. You know, she was just, she's one of those people too. If you remember, there were a couple times when some of the contestants got sick. And so they would pull back and not give as much. But Kelly would always go balls to the wall. She would just hit that stage and just push herself as hard as she could. And on finale night, she wasn't really feeling that well either. Um, She was a little sick and you can hear that in her voice. But it didn't matter, man. She just powers through and gets it done. Yes, absolutely right. She's a remarkably talented young lady. Well, thank you, Susan, for sharing your memories. It's been fun, Nigel. It's been a great trip down memory lane. (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, bye for now. Thanks, Susan. Bye-bye. To give both singers a break before the final round of the competition, the English winner of Pop Idol, Will Young, was invited to appear on American Idol's first finale. It had been a year since Will had been voted the first winner of the Global Idol franchise, a year that had brought him an enormous amount of success with his double A-sided disc, Anything Is Possible. And Evergreen. This disc became the fastest number one debut single ever in the United Kingdom. And it was followed very quickly by a number one album. 
You know, the record industry believes in striking while the iron is hot, that's for sure. Certainly Will looked full of confidence on that Kodak stage. It must have been a relief for him knowing that he wouldn't have to listen to a judgment from Simon Cowell. After all, Will was the first contestant to come back at Simon, if in a somewhat laid-back, English gentlemanly way. I think it's nice that you have given opinions on this show. In previous shows, you haven't. You've just projected insults and it has been terrible to watch. It is your opinion. I don't agree with it. I don't think you could ever call that average, but it is your opinion and I respect that. <laughs> As you can hear, that was a little gentler than the remarks he was getting in America. Yeah, British judge, this on the end, he can go kiss my natural born black <laughs> Well, you can see the difference there, can't you? Well, Will decided to sing the 1968 hit from Jackie Wilson, I Get the Sweetest Feeling. It was the B-side of his third number one single, The Long and Winding Road, which he'd recorded with Gareth Gates, the joint finalist and runner-up in the British pop idol. Will has got the sweetest voice with a gentle vibrato that made it perfect for this song. In fact, this was a perfect moment before the final round of the competition. As I had heard both performances in the dress rehearsal of this final round, I believed this was going to deliver a knockout punch. As Justin walked on the stage, you just knew he was uncomfortable. A moment like this was another big diva ballad with long high notes. Usually on the high notes, Justin would use his soulful falsetto voice. But here the song demanded a full voice. Notes that would be difficult to hold at the best of times were almost impossible now with Justin's tired voice. I could just imagine what he must have been thinking as he sang the lyric, I can't believe it's happening to me. There is no doubt Justin had a good voice with a brilliantly controlled falsetto, as did other singers in this competition. What set him apart, in my opinion, was the fact that he had a magical personality and his performance quality was magnetic. Given the right songs, like Get Here and Let's Stay Together, he could have challenged anybody to the American Idol title. But both of these songs demanded not just a good voice, but a great voice. This was Celine Dion, Whitney Houston territory. Maybe on later shows, Clay Aitken or Adam Lambert may have coped, but it was totally unfair to think that Justin could sing these songs in the style that they demanded. He certainly didn't shy away from the task and left the stage knowing that he'd done his best. In a couple more minutes, Kelly Clarkson was about to steal the show with the final song of the night, leaving nobody in doubt who should be voted the American Idol. This was the knockout blow I had anticipated. For me, Before Your Love was a far better song than a moment like this for a singer like Kelly Clarkson, and she sang it to perfection. Every note, every run, every growl had the hair standing up on the back of my neck. 
As it climaxed, the audience rose to its feet as one. The judges jumped out of their seats applauding. Justin was standing in the wings next to me, cheering and applauding. Obviously, the moment everyone will remember about this first season would be on the following night's show when the results were given. But this incredible final performance will be etched in my memory along with Tamira Gray's performance of A House Is Not A Home. These were certainly two of the best performances ever on American Idol. Justin came on stage to join Kelly along with Ryan and Brian. It was finally time for the judges to speak and Randy was hugely enthusiastic about Kelly's performance. Kelly, you sang unbelievable tonight. Every, every aspiring singer in America that's out there watching, that loves the show, should listen to Kelly. That's what it's all about. It makes me proud to be a part of the show because you are a phenomenal talent. Paula spoke to both of them. Look at you. Enjoy this moment. Both of you have done an amazing, wonderful, tremendous job through this entire journey. Would you give it a fuck? Yeah. No, we don't. I give it a one word, tremendous, stupendous, amazing. But having said that, I have to say, Kelly, you have a voice that can make grown men cry and young boys wish that they were grown men. Justin, if you were to look up it in the dictionary, your picture would be right there. You have it, you are it. Simon had to knock Paula before praising them both. I don't actually understand a word Paul is saying anymore. <laughs> it's like a new language. Um, okay, I would say you both did great. Justin, uh, I can tell you, having worked with Justin, he's actually one of the nicest people I've ever met. And after the horrors of some of the artists I met at the VME Awards, these two are a credit to what pop stars are really all Amen. about. There you go. Amen. Amen. What Thank I would say, just to finish quickly, Justin, you did great. If it was my vote, who is the American Idol this year, you've got to give it to Kelly Clarkson. Like Simon, I think most people thought Kelly had won the title. Charles Boyd, our senior producer, on the other hand, had his own idea. Tell him, Charlie. I'm kind of biased. Uh -huh. Well, my memory's kind of biased. I'm, going, I'm saying I always thought that Justin would get there because... Me, he was the he most was an, professional, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the most professional. He was an all-rounder. You know, you put him on a stage, he could move. He knew how to work with the camera. You know, he knew how to perform. He wasn't too professional. You know, he wasn't too trained that he didn't seem like um, he didn't fit in with people who were just off the streets, so right. to speak. So um, I... I always knew that he'd go far, top three, at least. I, I, like you, I had no eye on Kelly. I thought she was great, but she hadn't done that performance at this stage that really blew everybody away. Right, That's natural the, woman. That, that was, um, yeah, that with the, yeah. with the octave jumps. Yeah, yeah, that was you know that was later on, um, but Justin. We just kept going and got stronger and stronger and people were talking about him and he got that momentum that really made him stand out. And I remember going with him 
to his hometown when he got in, well, he made the hometown visits and the pandemonium that met him when he got back home, I thought, wow, this guy's in with a chance. You know, he might, he might do it. Well, I'm pleased to say I was happy that Charlie didn't bet on that hunch. So the first show was over, but no time to rest. I informed Justin and Kelly that they had to learn It Takes Two overnight as they would be singing it on tomorrow night's grand finale. I would be lying if I told you they were thrilled about that. Far from it. But they both smiled and got on with it like true professionals. In truth, that's probably not right. Professionals would have told me where to stick another song that they had to learn, and it wouldn't have been in a nice place either. However, both of them went upstairs to set a key for the song, choose who would be singing which parts of the song, and record it on their tape recorders before joining the other ten members on stage to rehearse the following night's medleys with Carrie-Anne and Mandy. I saw Simon bearing down on me. He made it quite clear that he was very angry about not being in front of the stage. I explained that any build for a desk in the audience would rule out about a hundred or two hundred seats. It seemed crazy to do that as these two nights were all about the fans and the contestants and the judge's job was now over. I guess that was probably the worst thing I could have said. The argument went downhill there, just about as well as a lead balloon. I tried explaining how wonderful a royal box was. Uh, but Simon, if the Queen of England came to watch this show, that is where she would sit. He shook his head and informed me in no uncertain terms that he wasn't the Queen of England. A fact, quite frankly, I had already known. Unfortunately, we both got a little angry. It's sad, really, when we should have been celebrating a wonderful finale, here we were bickering like two cockerels facing off in a farmyard. Although we can laugh about it now, I know Simon has still never forgiven me. It's funny because it came up in a conversation when I spoke to Randy Jackson a few weeks ago. It turns out he wasn't happy being in the Royal Box either. Take a listen. So, Randy, let me take you back to our first show at the Kodak Theatre. Our journey had begun at the Hollywood Athletic Club, where you sat behind a nasty trestle table with an off-white tablecloth on top of it. Funny little letters saying Los Angeles, looking like we'd made the same mistake as the band in the hilarious Spinal Tap movie when they created their tiny Stonehenge. Then we went out to audition thousands across this great American nation on our search for a superstar, climaxing in that magnificent auditorium, the Kodak Theatre. For me, it was an incredible moment. And then I got myself into serious trouble with Simon Cowell for putting you guys in the royal box. He was furious. What was the deal with the box? Why the box? Well, you weren't judging anything on the show. I, I couldn't just sit you in the audience, as that would have been uncomfortable for you, sitting next to somebody you didn't know. 
It, it would have meant probably building a platform to put a desk on somewhere in the centre of the audience seating. And that would have removed a large number of seats, blocked the view of everybody behind it, which, of course, after this season one, is what I was forced to do. Listen, it, it was my honest opinion that these two shows were just about the talent that America had come to love and vote for, and it was time for the judges to take a back seat but a back seat in the royal box, which is, to be frank, what I classed as a great honor. No, I don't think any of us ever quite understood that because when you think about it, you're part of the stars of the show. So to not be in the show, it, I think it just didn't compute. That you were in the show. You were totally in the show. Yeah, but, but from the royal box, the royal wee box. <laughs> but what, what else did you ever say on the show and any finale when you were down there in the middle of the auditorium blocking the seats and taking away from the real fans of the show that had come to support their contestants. What, did, what do you really I, feel you contributed to the finale, Randy? I think we could have said, I could have said, listen, I'm a confirmed committed Lord of America. <laughs> I deserve my place in history. Yes, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. As you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, listen, I think it got better after that, honestly. <laughs> no. Because... <laughs> no, no, no. I got put in my place and told exactly where the three of you wanted to be. Uh, and I was okay with that. The, the hundreds yeah, which, of people that didn't get to see the show there. weren't I that think, happy. No, but I agree with that because I still think... Before you knew who these kids were, before they became the stars you knew, we were the stars, de facto. So you would never have a finale of any show without the stars at least vividly appearing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would tend to disagree with you that first season. Um, I don't believe that you were the stars of the show at that point. I think you were the great judges on the show. Uh, but the stars, I would put down to... The Kelly Clarksons, the Justin Guarinis, you know, they were the talent for the show. And I've always, 100%, I've, I've always 100%. said that we were the only show out of everything that comes out now where the full concentration was on the talent and not just the judges. But no, as you know how this goes, in the beginning, nobody knows them. They're not even sure they like them. Well, nobody so knew Simon Cowell, Randy, to be frank with you. Nobody really yeah, knew Randy so Jackson. He was so different that it was definitely water cooler talk. Absolutely. So before you even knew these people had personalities or that you would vote for them. Yeah. But we... So, you we, know what I'm saying? Yeah, but Randy, we were getting... Um, we started off with three million calls on the very first night. We got up on that first season to about 60 million calls. They weren't calling in for Randy Jackson. And they weren't calling in for Simon Cowell or Paul Abdul. They were calling in for these kids. So forgive no, me, no, no. forgive rightfully me for so. putting you rightfully in your place, so. young man. <laughs> no, no, no. But listen, rightfully so. But before you started voting for them, yeah, yeah. Let me say, I am never ever going to take away from the incredible, magical chemistry that you three had as judges uh, and stars of this show. Nobody else yeah, that has ever not. done anything or brought any judges onto any other show in the world has found the chemistry that you three had together. 
So I will not take away. Let me just say your show included. So you think you can dance. The voice, X Factor, got talent. These people, these judges start as your first de facto stars. Before you want to know that you even like or want to like any of the contestants. That's all I'm saying. So they're your first port of entry. And maybe they're there for a minute before you even decide that you love those other people that much. So in that case, you, you, you want me to say, I think it's only fair that you block the view of all of the true fans of the show. <laughs> yes, baby, we're blocking the world, baby. What do you remember about that finale, Randy? Uh, I remember finally thinking to myself, wow. I, didn't, I still wasn't sure this was really going to work. This is damn well working. Couldn't yeah. believe it. Like, damn. Look at what we've done. Well, certainly uh, it was amazing. And Justin did all he could with two songs that didn't really suit his voice. I have to say how much I loved Kelly singing Before Your Love. No, but moment like this, when Kelly sang it, it really summed up, I think, the sentiment of the country, of her, of the show, of everything. Some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. That's the real truth of what it was. American Idol search for the next superstar. Yeah. That, that encapsulated everything. That's what you call a great crowning moment in American television history, talent show history. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Randy, it's something that both of us will always cherish, remember. It certainly changed my life, and I believe it changed yours, too. Certainly changed my life. I love you, Randy Jackson, so thank you so much. You too, Thanks, brother. And I'll talk to you about season two another time. Yes, brother. Peace, man. God bless. Take care. Bye. Yes, we'll be reminiscing about season two very soon, but next week we'll obviously be talking about the grand finale and some of the incidents that we had that night. The problem with Kelly's hair. Why we had to change the show with about 10 minutes before going on air. How I fell out with my boss, Simon Fuller. And what Donald Trump had to say, if you're interested. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Download all the episodes of Idle Memories on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate us. Let us know if you're enjoying our memories. Stay safe. Bye for now. Cue music. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.